let's record episode 23 and let's just wing it today. What do you think of that? Well, yeah, I have a story I want to share with you and then I want to talk about it with you. Instead of wing it, I should have said, let's just have George's agenda, George (laughs) agenda day. So let's talk about whatever George wants to talk about because you had some cool ideas. Welcome to The Belief Shift, the show that explores what you really need to know about building a successful small business. I'm your host, Camille Rapaz, small business coach and consultant who spent too much of her career working in corporate business performance. And I'm George Trapeau, your co-host and her brother. I'm a leader in the tech world, bringing my corporate perspective, but mostly my curiosity. Together, we're exploring beliefs about success and how to achieve it. But mostly, we're bringing practical solutions so you and your business can thrive. So last night, I was talking with my wife about some news that happened this week. And as we were talking about it, it occurred to me that one of the belief shifts came to me as, I think, relevant to the situation. And I thought of you. So I sent you this text during dinner, breaking our no phones rule. (laughs) I had to do it. And I just sent you this short text, not really enough to be a complete thought, but I thought you might get it. And the text was, Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, is resigning. I think it relates to one of the belief shifts. Can we talk about that? And I instantly said, no way. Yeah. So I'll give some background for the audience. Jacinda Ardern is the Prime Minister of New Zealand. She became Prime Minister at the age of 37, about what, five years ago, I think. She had a baby while in office. She managed New Zealand through two of the biggest crises this country's ever had. It's a country of about 5 million people. And I'm just giving you giving context, not saying that's important or not important, but she's the leader of that country. During her time, there was a domestic terrorism shooting that was religiously motivated. It was horrible. And she brought the, the country together around that uniquely and interestingly. There was also, I think, a volcano explosion that happened in New Zealand, New Zealand you know, that caused some problems. She led the country through that. And then the, how they dealt with COVID was uniquely good amongst the very few countries that actually managed through early days. It was an amazing leader all the while. She was, she got engaged. She had a baby while in office and still did the job. So just this week, amazing Jacinda Ardern announced that she is not going to run for office again. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on about it. Her party is not doing great right now. And if so, if she were going to run for office, it would be a big challenge. She'd have to put a lot of effort into it. And she basically said, look, I love doing this job. I don't have anything left in the tank to be able to do what's coming next. And so I'm making a decision not to rerun and go back and do something else. The BBC apparently wrote an article about that. And the headline was something about Ardern resigns or decides not to rerun. So women can't have it all. Something like that, basically. There was a lot of backlash to that article. And the BBC then apologized for writing it that way. And I think reprinted the article. That's the background. When I first read the story, I thought, Awesome. Once again, she's amazing, and I'm happy to say why. But then we talked about this article, and I just thought the BBC got it wrong. My wife had a different thought about it that I also agree with. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to tell me what you thought when you heard the story? Yes, that's what I want to hear first. So before I jump in with my own, because I then, you made me go look, and I had heard about it, but then I went and dug into this some of the different articles and how they were. Uh, couching this whole thing because they all, of course, can't do it without an opinion, even if they're not supposed to have an opinion. It wasn't an opinion article, but it sure sounded like that. But talk to me about like, what was the belief shifts that popped in your head as you were thinking about this? 
here's what I was going to say triggered. I was not triggered by the BBC article, <laughs> but when the BBC article basically questioned whether women can have it all, I'm like, you're too late. She does have it all. I mean, look at her. She's the prime minister of a country. She had a baby during office and did the job. She had a relationship and it sounds like they're finally going to get married. They haven't had time to do that, but she had the relationship. She's led the country uniquely through several major crises. She is doing it all. She's doing it all. And she's deciding for herself. I know what it's going to take to do the next thing. I'm choosing not to do that. She's not, she is doing it all. She's making her own decisions, which is trade-offs over sacrifice. That's the belief shift. That's clearly, she's not sacrificed. I mean, you could look at it as she's sacrificing her ability to get married to do office. Mm-hmm. Say she's sacrificing her ability to stay in office because she can't do it all. That's not what she's doing. She's making, she has made, is continuing to make very clear choices about how she wants her life to go and balancing all these factors. She's making the decisions and she's telling people in the way she's done this whole time, clearly, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm capable of doing. I don't have any more in the tank. She's being very clear. Awesome. I'm just applauding it. And BBC, you just do not get it. Doing it all doesn't mean have to do everything. <laughs> okay, yes. that's my rant. I have very strong things about this. It's really cool that for me, the thought was, oh yeah, that's what she's doing with the belief shift, right? Chain offs over sacrifice. Best business example I can think of right now. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> like we need some applause. Woo, entered in here. <laughs> what do you think? I think you're spot on. I instantly, of course, when you said her name, I was like, oh yeah, she's talking about making trade-offs versus the sacrifice and she's just made a choice. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But underneath that, in all of the articles and the way that things can get couched, there is what it means for a woman to make these choices and the types of Mm -hmm. trade-offs and the way those trade-offs are presented versus the way it's presented if a man is in that position. So I read about things like her choosing to, you know, so she had a baby while she was in office, right? She is doing it all. She didn't say, no, I'm not going to have kids because I'm too busy running a country. She was like, I can have kids and run a country. I can do both those things. And she did. And then she got backlash for only taking six weeks of maternity leave, (laughs) which, you know, it was like, that was also her choice, right? That was also her choice to do that. And yet we criticize her because she chose the country and her duty. This is what they're perceiving, right? I'm not saying Mm -hmm. she did this, but they perceive it as, oh, you chose that over your child. How dare you? I challenge anybody to find an example where that same question or that same criticism was given to a man who chose to maybe only take six weeks of paternity leave from a position. That never happens. No. So she's got a completely different standard by which she has to live up to. When I think about her saying she's burnt out, I think about how, yeah, she made these choices to do all the things and she could do it, but what she had to do to make it work, dealing with that level of misogyny and the criticism and even the threats that she got later and yeah. just the extra layer. I think all politicians have this layer of criticism they have to deal with. I think she has an extra layer because she's a woman doing it. Mm-hmm. And probably also a young woman doing it. If she had been post, I already have kids and have a family, those things wouldn't enter into it. But even then, she'd still have a layer of being a woman. That means that the level of effort she has to put into this work, I think, is much greater. The stress component, the tension, the balancing act she has to constantly navigate is a level up for her 
versus a man in that same position. So it makes yeah. sense to me that she's burnt out. Like, whew, that Actually, was a lot to take on. To be clear about this, the issue is she's not rerunning. She's already currently managing through the current situation. Burnt out or not, she's doing it. She's looking ahead and thinking, okay, I'm going to have to yes. do all this and this much more to keep the party in power. That's what's stopping her. Right? Not even yes. necessarily burnt out like, I can't do this anymore. She's right. saying, I can't do this plus what the party needs for me to rerun. There was a statement she made where she said, I know that there are others who can do this better than me now. She is doing that forward looking of, you know what, the best thing for me to do is I think there's some people who can now come into this because they're going to come in with fresh energy and, you know, new whatever the party needs. So she's also recognizing that, which I think of this as in business, if we're translating it back to that, how businesses struggle to have really amazing leaders know when their time is up. Yeah. Right? Like when is it time for me to either step aside or even as a small business owner, when is it time for me to hand this thing to someone else in my company? When is it time to bring someone on to do this work because they can actually do it better than I can do it? Whether it's because I'm burnt out or because of whatever position I put myself in, I now want to do this other stuff, which means I have to make a trade-off. I have to let something go. How do I let that thing go? Oh, I should let that thing go to by hiring a person to do that for me instead. Her version of that is, well, I have to hand this whole job over to someone else and she'll go off and do whatever she's going to do. But yeah, it's that trade-off and it's a decision point in life, which it is interesting how, because it's so public and because it's about a woman and it's this leadership role and there's all these other things going on behind, that's complicated, right? There's all this stuff going on that of course people just make up all these different stories about what it is, but at the very heart of it, it really is just as simple as a human being who is doing this amazing thing has decided to go do something else. That's it. Yeah. So what? Isn't that literally everybody all the time? Yeah. Her decisions to, are not static. We get to do that whenever we want to without all the backlash because we're not public figures. And think about the alternative. If she's going to make this change in how she conducts her life in a little while and she didn't announce this, then the country has no time to process or deal with it when she makes that change. All of a sudden, just decided not to rerun. Her party doesn't have time to start planning for it, but she's made this announcement to the country. So the right? The country has time to think through this and get through all their garbage critiquing her or whatever, but they're getting ready for a time when she's not in the role. Her party has time to work with this and start thinking about who they want to support for the role. She's done a great service to them by announcing, now I'm making these changes. There's going to be a whole lot of drama later that will not happen now because she's had the foresight to put her agenda open. What a gift that people do not realize she's given them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I read too, just there's that angle of, well, maybe she's doing it because the party's performing badly and she thinks she's going to lose. So why bother running? Yeah. And I thought, why would that be a bad thing? So if she (laughs) thinks like, you know what, we might lose this next round. And I certainly don't think I'm the person who's going to get us over the finish line. So I should let someone else try. Mm Mm-hmm. They couch it like it's, oh, she's running off because she doesn't want to lose. And it's like, well, yeah, of course she doesn't want her party to lose. And if she thinks she's going to be the loser, then she should hand it to someone else. Because maybe she's 
burned through all of her credits with all of her people. And so somebody fresh has to go like, this is politics. That's how it works. Right. Yeah. There's so many angles on this. And this, I mean, we could, uh, I could go on a whole rant about just the exhaustion of how news is not news and just yeah. the media is just going for the clicks. And it speaks to when you started talking about that first version of the, the fact that the BBC had to like reversion their telling of this story is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, they really whiffed, really whiffed on that. I just thought this is a great real world example. Neither small business nor big business, but government, but still the belief shifts applying. I mean, really applying and seeing somebody take control of it. It was wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about when we first came up with these, how they're not really specific to small business or business. Mm. Most of them are just kind of life in how we move through life. Because I think the other one that I think of in this example with her is planning it over winging it. So your whole point yeah. about like, she's being thoughtful about her decision. That's right? my second one. <laughs> I'm doing yeah. great at this class. I'm acing this are, belief ship class. <laughs> you are getting an A plus on the belief ships. So why do you say the planning because- over winging it is pleasant? Yeah, because as you talked about how she's being thoughtful and letting her party have time to prepare by letting them know this is what is going to happen, as opposed to having it be some last minute decision or even preparing the country for it. Just to be clear, you don't think she woke up one morning kind of grouching and called her press secretary and say, I read your press conference today. Get it ready in 45 minutes. I want to talk. Where's my coffee? <laughs> Just word salad. You don't think that's what happened? I highly doubt it. <laughs> she does not seem like the type. She doesn't. But even in terms of, even if she was fully planning it, yeah, she could have planned it in a way that forced other people to have to wing it because she delayed telling them or, you know, there's oh. also a level of, have I sort of trapped somebody into a position of, oh, thanks, but you didn't give us much time to really <laughs> plan for what we're going to do with this. So she's She's planning at that level of depth, which I think is, we haven't really talked about this, but when you are doing a good plan, because there's such a thing as writing a bad plan and a bad plan would have been her being like, don't tell anybody. My plan is to not tell anybody until the end or until I see how such and such plays out. Or she could have completely just navigated this in a very selfish way. She hasn't, at least way things have been playing out. It doesn't appear she's at all very selfless but making a decision that is really important for taking care of herself. So some might think, well, she's making a selfish decision because she's doing her own thing. No, she's she's doing what she needs to do as a human being and then letting everybody else know with enough time to do what they need to do, right? To make sure yeah. that it all works out okay. And that's a good plan. And making a good plan does mean thinking about all the other people that are going to be impacted by the what you're going to do and also setting them up for success. Yeah. Right. So if I'm going to write a really thoughtful plan about how I want my team to go about executing on something, I'm going to tell them about the work as far in advance as I can. I'm going to be clear about when they need to do what and how I want them to do it. Like I'm going to give as much clarity in that plan as I can so that they can be successful as opposed to showing up just randomly one day and saying, Hey, I need you to do these five things today. Because it's in my plan that I haven't showed you until, or never, I never showed you, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's not a good plan. Like I'm just, I'm making you wing it by just dropping it on you. 
So I definitely thought about that. I was like, oh, she's being very planful about this, very thoughtful about how she's going about this transition and her decision to communicate this. And um, yeah, it's just really interesting to see that show up. And so I do think most of this, the, most of this is, you know, kind of life skills that we're talking about and how you take those. And the reason I think they come up for me is belief shifts when we talk about small business mm-hmm. is for some reason, I find a lot of business owners sometimes forget to do some of these really logical things inside their business. I don't know what happens to our brains, but we somehow like we get into our business and we start getting in sort of this frantic mode and we forget, oh yeah, I do that over there. Why am I not doing it in here? Mm. That's not all. I mean, some business owners just never are really good at planning things. So that is a new thing for them to do in their business. But some of them, they're like, you know, I actually am pretty good when it comes to this other thing in my life. And <laughs> I do a pretty good plan job planning it. I wonder why I don't do that in my business. And it's just, a, yeah. you know, how you have stuff in your life. Like, I'm really good at it with that, but I'm not good at it over here. Yep, absolutely. We're, we're just kind of inconsistent by nature as humans, right? Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Maybe this starts a new little segment for the podcast, which is belief shifts out in the wild. Yeah whenever you spot them. What's happening in Georgia's world? Let's do a small business versus big business problem challenge. So I just traveled for business this last week. I was in two and a half days of pretty intensive meetings with a group of six others. What happened was a couple of months ago, our boss, our vice president resigned, left the company, went to another company and It turns out that we were more of a mess than we were led to believe. For example, once this guy was gone, one of us was chosen to be interim lead of the group. Wasn't me. It was another peer. She's doing a great job. She's really good, very calm, very smart, good thinker. So it's a good choice to be the interim. And she was interacting with our senior vice president, who I also think is very smart and a good listener. But that SVP was kind of relating back, like, here's what I think your organization is about. And she was getting a lot of it wrong. Like, just to be clear, we're in an organization of maybe 700 people. We are a subgroup of about 110 people, something like that, around 100 people. And our SVP got significant things wrong about who we are and what we do and what we offer as an organization, which is bad. She just hasn't had time to turn her attention on us. And this is a year-long reorganization she's been part of for the company. She's had so many things to do in her role, which is a whole other story. We are not the big problem child. And she's had this VP who's both kind of handled things and also withheld information from her, as it turns out, that she hasn't had an accurate picture of who we are. So now she's looking at us. She's like, I'm not sure your organization makes sense as an organization. You need to explain to me what's going on. Sort of much nicer than that, but really that's what's going on. So we've been having these conversations to close out the year. Great holiday conversations. Yay. Do we need to be together? Do we need to split up? What do we need to do? I guess the good news is that we seem to have the control of that agenda. We get to decide or make a proposal about do we need to be together or not. We're under travel budget restrictions. So we thought long and hard about whether we should actually meet in person versus over you know video conference. And we decided we need to spend the money on this. We need to meet. And it was money well spent. We met for two and a half days to talk about things like what's our core mission? What do we do? What's the work that we do? What value should anybody see from us? I mean, pretty basic questions and try to see how far we could get. We had done an exercise like this with the VP who quit 
back in April, similar length of time, two and a half days. I tell you, Camille, I'm good at this. I do this all the time, you know, big enterprise, multi-day meetings like you're about to do for one of your clients and they can get tiring, but I've got good stamina. In April, when we did this, my brain was fried after day one because it was just so overly packed with agenda from this guy. And there wasn't enough follow through. The way he expressed concepts was too abstract for me to absorb. I couldn't do it. So I find that tiring when you can't fully understand what's going on. You're trying to keep up. I was fatigued and I told the group, like, I'm checked out. I'm sorry. I would like to keep participating, but I can't right now. I'm going to have to hang here as a passenger and regroup. This exercise this last week went much better. And I can tell you some of the things that made it different. We didn't scope creep. We didn't do too much. We had two main conceptual things we want to handle. And that was, you know, what's our, figure out what our goals in the work to do and figure out a couple of services that we offer, two main services that we think we offer and try to articulate them to, to make them actionable, not just fluff. And then we had a couple of other things to do, like we have to get ready for a quarterly business review to report out. It's promotion season. We're talking about a very, very small number of people for talent retention rewards, a couple of things like that, that take time, but they weren't the main agenda. Last April, we had just done the conceptual stuff that didn't really get us anywhere. So we had a good mix of stand back and think conceptually what's going on and realize that it always takes longer than you think, even if you structure it well, it always does. And also we rewarded ourselves by taking care of some of the mechanical things that we had to get done like this week. We made time for that. The conceptual stuff didn't push that out of the way. So actually got stuff done. We all left, got on our planes thinking, oh, this is tiring, but really, really good work. And I think we have a pretty clear idea about what we offer. Not all of it, but some of it. What we didn't get to was goals, which is the next step, and then organizational design. Like once we know what's our mission, what services do we offer, what are our goals, what are the roles that we need to produce those goals? We didn't do that part yet. That's still hard work to come, but it was good. Wow. It sounds like you basically started the work of a business plan just for your slice of the business, right? Yeah. What's our mission? What's our vision? What is our business model within the bigger business model. You have your own inside there. We have specific products and services that we provide. What are those? And what does that actually mean? What is the value of those? It's interesting to hear you talk about needing to do that within a department in a bigger organization. You're having to do the same thing that you have to do at the bigger organization level, right? And yes. I think that gets missed a lot. I'm actually experiencing that with one of my clients. I'm not sure that that's happening consistently within the different departments that they're taking the time to do that. But it's the same thing any small business needs to do and should continually do. Because as you were talking about it, I was thinking about this example, the translation into a small business, right? So hmm. you're having to do it because there's been some change where somebody is now questioning the value of this department. Like, what are we here for? Yeah. The translation into small business would look like this to me. My business has stopped growing and I don't have a lot of clients. So maybe like you've sort of plateaued in your business or, or maybe you're even kind of shrinking and going backwards and you're like, I'm still doing the same thing I always do. Why would it shrink? Well, it's yes. because you haven't put the energy into refresh that business or reestablish the value of that business. And the world is changing. Even though we all want need, we've gotten to the point where we need our iPhones. They keep giving us new ones. 
So they keep giving us new ones and refreshing themselves so that we don't someday go, well, I'm kind of bored with my iPhone. Maybe I'll try a different one. Maybe I'll try that Google thing or that Android thing, right? It's like, there's a reason they keep doing it. Even if we get a little bit annoyed by it, it's also, oh, I do want that new fancy camera they talk about. So your business is the same. I have to keep up. I have to keep pushing the envelope in terms of what I can provide for people in some way, shape or form, right? Whether it's a different method of doing it or whatever that looks like. It doesn't have to be this big innovation of iPhone, but I always think of that as this great example of, they keep providing the new thing. So you'll keep buying. That's how they keep their customers. That's a brilliant yes. idea. It's a brilliant plan. So every business needs their version of that. It's not always to that yeah. extreme, but we all need that version of that. And you're doing that now within your department. Like, well, what? Because ultimately you guys had to come out with, we have to provide value or we're done. Yeah. I have to internally provide value to our internal customers, which means ultimately providing value to our external customers in a way that internally they see, yes, absolutely, we need this. That's the connection you have to make. This is what we do and why our customers care. And so therefore, that's why you guys, bosses internally should care. You reminded me of something else as well. The guy who ran the organization had been at the company for a long time as well-connected and people kind of thought of our organization as his organization. It was a personality cult in essence. And I'm not making a judgment about that, but when he left, things change because of his connections. There's a lot of stuff that we don't have to justify because they say the other stakeholders would say, oh yeah, we trust that guy. I'm sure he's doing a good job of doing whatever they do. I think about a small restaurant in town that has a longstanding clientele. They've been there long enough to deal with strong relationships with their clientele. They don't have to justify a lot of stuff to their clientele because they, they trust them. But if the clientele goes away or if they move to a new location, they don't have that anymore. They have to justify why they're good and worth going to as a business anymore. And that's what's happened to us. That's fascinating. That culture of something within an organization existing really primarily because of one person's energy and the capital they have in that company, the trust that they've built is problematic too. And I see leaders doing this, creating departments around themselves or structures within the organization around themselves that are basically a way to say, I'm invaluable to you because of all of the stuff I do and nobody else can do what I do. Yeah. which is good for me individually, not good for the business overall. Th then that whole structure just falls apart once that person leaves, right? The company's just lucky that the people who reported to me and my peers are so awesome and amazing that we're going to be able to fix this thing. <laughs> well, and that's one way that you actually mitigate that risk, right? Is you hire the right people who you know, share your same vision and will can carry it forward. Even if it's rough, you're having to go through this rough transition. You have the right people who can carry that forward in the best way possible. Like that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to have yeah. good succession planning and people who are going to pick this stuff up. He hasn't done that either. No yeah, succession it, plan. It just goes back to what you're saying earlier. He put together the organization that suited him. He sort of accreted different departments yeah. and added us. And we lucked out. I respect my peers. They're great. And we work together well. So we're able to get through this despite him, really. We are not going to come out with the organization that he wanted. We're not. Yeah. We think he was wrong about some things. Yeah. Leaders really struggle with succession planning. It makes some sense if you think about it. Like, why would I want to think about the end of my time here and handing it to someone else? Well. Or why would I put my energy into that? Especially if either my focus is I'm going to stay in this job forever, right? 
maybe that's what you're thinking. Like, I don't want to go anywhere else, or yeah. I'm putting all my energy into just getting my next move up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's not my problem how they fill my seat. My only problem yeah. is how I get to the next thing. How selfish. <laughs> I'm smiling because <laughs> at home we have a succession plan for our son. What happens if, if something happens to us as parents? There's a lot of reasons you want to do it. You should do it at a bare minimum, do it for your kids, for heaven's sake. Yeah. But you should do it within your company. So small business owners, their version of this is what is my long-term? Like, what am I doing with this company <clears throat> when I'm done? Am I selling it? Am I giving it to my employees? Am I just done when I'm done? Any of those are good choices, but what are you choosing to do? Because I do have business owners who are like, I want to sell it in five years, but they're not setting themselves up. They're not setting the business up to be optimally sellable. That's not how they're running it today. And they realize that, oh, I need to change how I'm running this business. If I actually want to sell it in five years, I'm not setting myself up for that. Or if I want to, you know, my plan is to hire somebody who wants to take over the business. Eventually there's very deliberate decisions you make that would shift that long-term view going back to the planning perspective, right? That long-term view then affects the goals you should have this year. Yeah. Right. And what you're going to focus on. I wanted to talk about being uncomfortable as we do this. Another thing that happened, I'll get your take on this. We're in this process of kind of starting from whole cloth and figuring out what do we think we provide? What's being asked of us? What did our SVP ask us to do? Let's pay attention to that. And how do we optimize for that? And there was a period of time where we don't know if we're going to survive as a group. Some of us may have to move out do other things. And so there's this tension about that, that was sitting with all of us, but I thought we did well, that it was important for us to be able to accept that tension and be able to live with it in order to do the planning, knowing full well, that we're going to make decisions that may affect us. That is not easy to do. I could see individual suggestions that would come up that sound like, oh, this is a job preservation suggestion, really. This is not really a, what's the benefit of the org suggestion. My peers are all good. So they would offer a suggestion. Some of us would say like, really? I don't know if that really works and they'd back off and they'd be, they'd be okay, but put them back in a tense place. So, I mean, what do you have to say about if you're doing kind of goal setting or planning, but your decisions might be scary decisions and how do you be brave enough to keep doing it? I know exactly what you mean because it is, gets back to something theme we haven't talked about for a while, but I think we've mentioned early on in the podcasts. And I talk with my clients about all the time, which is there's what you want versus what the business needs. Yeah. And they do not always match up. And that's what you're talking about is what the business needs us to do. Isn't necessarily what we might want to do. Cause what I want to do is keep my job and keep doing all these things and have my colleagues in my team. And maybe I even want to do some new stuff, but I want to create a job for myself that yeah. I love or keep the job that I love now. But that might not be what the organization actually needs from us in order for the company to perform optimally. And that's the tension that I think all teams are up against whenever they have to go into any of this strategic planning and goal setting kind of process is how do I take my personal needs out of this and really think about what's best for the company first as individuals, then we have a responsibility to ourselves to say, okay, now how do I fit into that? And is this actually what I want? And we're not really great about doing that. We want the job to adjust to fit us. 
right? That sounds great. But if you think about it, it doesn't make any sense. Like if all I did was build a company that I just created a bunch of jobs that made all of these people optimally happy in doing the work they wanted to do, that would not be a well-functioning system. And a business is a system, right? All the little cogs in that system have to all work together. Yeah. I would basically have just all these little independent fiefdoms trying to do their own thing. Maybe some yeah. of them would align and collaborate and kind of work together. But ultimately, if I don't design the system first and then fit the pieces into it, then that business as a system isn't going to do very well. So the best ones will design what is optimal for the business and then find the right people, the people who do want to do that to fit into those, those roles. I was even thinking about this related to, you know, right now there's a lot of announcements of tech layoffs and there's a whole yeah. sorts, all sorts of reasons for that to happen. And I think if we simplify it to any one thing, it, we're doing a disservice to how layoffs happen because companies mm. don't really want to do them, No, but they do them for lots of different reasons. And one of them is at some point, you've probably hired some people in your company that don't quite fit in the system or where the system, the business is going. And you need to make a change, right? You need to make some adjustments. And the best way to do this is kind of like maybe clear the decks a little bit and then do some rebuilding. And so as much as we want to believe and as much as companies want us to feel like, so one of my, I guess, red flags going into work for a business is if they're like, oh, we're like family here. I don't want to work for that company because that's fake for one. No business should run like a family does. <laughs> that's not how it works. Like a business is business, right? I would like it to be collegial. I would like it to have shared values with that business, all of those kinds of things, but I don't want you to be family. Have we talked about the Netflix manifesto and what they say about that? Yeah. You mentioned this once before. Say more. A long time ago, Netflix put together this manifesto about their philosophy about hiring people and managing people and how the organization works. And they talk about that explicitly as well. And they say, also, we don't believe in the analogy of we're like a family. Our analogy is we're more like a professional sports team. We hire the best talent and we treat you well, but not everybody belongs. Think about that. People get traded away or fired and get clear-minded. Yes. I think that's a much better analogy is you are more yeah. like a sports team. And so you see sports teams changing their players all the time. For some reason, we get really upset when companies do this. We're like, oh, they're so heartless. No, they're just trying to do what the business is supposed to do, which is make money. Some of them go about that in a very heartless manner, a la yeah. Elon Musk. He's not the only one. Like you hear this all the time where they're like, oh, people got laid off and they did it in this horrible way. Like I saw somebody had posted on Twitter recently. My husband just got laid off from Google after being there for 15 years. You think they would have done more than just send him an email. You think it would have been a conversation. I kind of agree with that. Like, yeah, could your boss have not had a conversation with you? Even no. if you've been there for two minutes, I think it should be a conversation, right? But yes. when they're doing mass layoffs, they do emails because it's efficient. At the end of the day, they're kind of like, I don't need to maintain this relationship either. So why would I be nice about it? I mean, that my, sounds not, heartless, but my speculation about the why people like to say it's like a family is because that necessarily has the connotation of compassion in it. Of course, you treat your family mostly with compassion. <laughs> Forget the family <laughs> discord. But I think 
The sports team analogy is also good because a good sports team, you're trying to, you only work really well if you build up team camaraderie. And if you have bonding, those qualities exist in a sports team, but without the permanence of family, it allows you to make changes. And there is so much about team that is so valuable. It doesn't have to be a family to be yeah. an incredible collegial community feeling of that connectiveness that we want when we say family, I think you can get that from just being a really solid and high performing team. If you pursue that, yeah, there's so much goodness in there. And there's so much more too, when I'm thinking about a business and a team and that sports analogy, there's so many other things in the sports analogy that really play out in business. I was thinking about this the other day and the idea that I don't see enough, and especially in small businesses, I don't see enough huddles. So huh. people aren't huddling at a planned moment in their business. If you're a small business owner and you have just like three team members, you're probably like, well, we don't need to meet all the time. You don't. You don't need to have big meetings that take up a bunch of people's time. That'd be wasteful. But what you should be doing is a regular huddle at least on a weekly basis, if not on a daily basis, depending on how your business operates, hmm. to just make sure you're constantly doing this check. Are we all rowing in the same direction? Okay, we are, great, everybody go, right? And just yeah. doing that on a regular basis. Because otherwise it's like, imagine if, you know, in sports, if it's football, and what if the team never huddled and they were just like, well, I guess we're running X play. And then everybody goes off and does whatever they think the next play is. That's what you're letting your business do. If you don't meet with your team, like everybody's showing up and they're running a play. They think it's the right one. And some days it is. And some days you guys are all running the wrong plays or we're yeah. all running different plays. And we were supposed to be running this one play. I think of that analogy a lot because when I start talking about the issues that they have so many times, I think, wow, that could have been solved. If you just had a simple 10 minute huddle, 10 minutes, people, not an hour, but 10 minute huddle. That was just targeting what is important today and what's everybody doing. You would have caught that thing that somebody was about to do that you didn't want them to do that day. And then later you were like, shoot, they did. And I didn't want that. And it's messed up this whole other plan. It always has all these repercussions, right? <laughs> yeah. You could have saved hours of grief if just you had spent 10 minutes huddling. So yeah, yeah. so many things about that team aspect that I think makes so much sense. I have one last thing that I wanted to relate about what happened this week in our team meeting. And I guess it's a little self-serving, but I'll take it. At one point during the meeting, one of my peers was standing up and explaining something. And it seemed like everybody else was on board, but I didn't get it. And I said, wait, can you say that again? Can you explain what's going on? I don't get this part. Here's what I think you're saying. And I laid it out and was like, really? Is that what you're saying? That's basically, he stopped and said, before he answered, he said, George, I like how you do that. And he didn't explain exactly what he meant by how you do that, but he went on and then he answered my question. We went on. There was some basic conceptual thing that I just wasn't getting. And I kept doing that during the week because we would talk about these high-level concepts and people seemed to be on board and planning on them. I'm like, wait, I don't get the high-level concept. Can somebody explain it to me? Otherwise, I'm just a passenger in this meeting and I want to be driving. And so that would happen. But later on, I was asking one of my other peers, like, hey, this guy, he said, I like how you do that. Do you know what he meant? He said, well... I remember that moment. I don't know if this is what he meant, but here's what you did that I think is very useful for us. <clears throat> you will stop and ask a question if you don't understand something. When most people don't, most people, they just won't ask. They'll just go along. And 
oftentimes, George, I find that when you ask the question about something you don't understand, it's something I also didn't understand, but I haven't bothered to ask. I've just been kind of hoping I would get it later on. So then you get the clarification that's really helpful. So guaranteed, George, when you're asking that I don't get it question, there's probably at least one other person, sometimes most of the people who don't really get it. So please keep doing that. So I tell you that because, of course, this makes me look good, but I do think that's important if you're in one of these meetings and stuff is going along and you don't get it, just please speak up and say you don't get it because you're probably not the only one. And you're going for clarity, so why not get it? Yes. Oh my gosh, this is literally one of the biggest challenges of facilitating. So I'm about to go into facilitating this three-day retreat I was telling you about. This is the biggest challenge is not enough people do that. And it's such a blessing when they do, when somebody's like, oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. Yes, let's get into it. Because I'm trying to read their minds. Like, are you guys getting it? Are you not? And even if I pause (laughs) for questions, there'll just be silence. And I can feel when it's like, they're not really tracking with me, but I'm not exactly sure where. So I'm trying to fill in a gap and provide more information when I'm not really clear what they need to know. But they're also just being a little bit too, they're in that space of, well, I think if I just listen more, I'll probably get it. Or they're like, no, I totally get it, but they don't. Yeah. So even prepping for this next retreat that I'm doing, and we were talking with the big boss in charge and, you know, we're talking about what we're going to go through and how we're going to do it and any guidance and blah, blah, blah. And one of the comments he made was, he said, yeah, I just want to be really careful. We're going to be bringing a lot of new stuff to them. A lot of people haven't done this before, this way that we're going to be working through the strategy and the plan and road mapping it. And, you know, I just want to make sure people are getting it. And so let's just pay attention to that. And he said, in fact, I may just ask you questions, even though I understand what you're doing. Oh. Saying, could you explain that again? I'm not sure I'm following just for the benefit of others who I know aren't getting it, but aren't willing to ask. And I was like, what a brilliant leader move right? What a yeah. brilliant move for a leader to just be like, and telling me as the facilitator, like, I'm going to do that to you. So just so you know, I am tracking with you. So don't worry about that. Hmm. But I'm going to ask you just for the benefit of others so that you can walk through a particular topic because he knows them better. It's his leaders, it's his team. So he'll be like, I'm pretty sure so-and-so's not, I can tell they're not quite tracking. And I did it's say awesome. to him, you know, my biggest worry is the ones who think they do know. And so they're not really listening. And he got a smile on his face. Like he knew exactly what I was talking about. And he's like, yep, those will be the tricky ones. Cause there's always somebody. <clears throat> so how are you going to deal with that? Yeah. Those are harder because usually what happens is you kind of bring them along through the force of everyone else. So there's usually just a couple singled out. And if you just keep moving the group in this direction, they will start to call out a few questions here and there that are kind of challenging what you're saying. This has happened a few times where they'll try to call you out as either being a hypocrite. Well, you said this here, but now you're saying that over there. And they're trying to make it sound like these things are in conflict. And so I have to explain, no, those aren't in conflict because they're like, want to make it very black and white, which I've said before is like completely one of my most annoying things that people try and do. Nothing about this process is black and white, right? Mm -hmm. So usually what I'll do is I'll be, oh, great question. And I'll open it to the group. And when the team starts to answer him or her, whoever's, you know, going in that direction, they start to soften to it a little more than if it's the person in the front of the room. Cause I think there's something in there also about of authority, trying to tell them, you know, that they're wrong. That doesn't go well. They're going to be more resistant. The more I use data to back myself up, the more resistant that person will become. And so I usually try to leverage the team to bring them around because they also know that person better. 
So they'll be like, oh yeah, so hey, so-and-so, this makes me think of that example you and I were talking about the other day and somebody else would do a lovely job of bringing them through it. So that's usually the best way. It doesn't always work out to somebody steps up and has a good example. But if I can see that that person is resisting in that way, almost every other person in the room can see it too. And I count on that. Like they're all smart people. They can see that person's being this weird resistor and they'll help me. They'll help me bring them through. So oh, that's usually what I try and do. That's cool. I like yeah. that. Yeah. It was fun. You know, it made me think about the bigger picture too, as you were telling the story of what you guys are doing. And I was thinking about, oh yeah, this is also tied to when I talk about what it takes just for a high performance business and those three elements of clarity, systems, and mindset. And you guys had to go right back to clarity. Like we got to get clarity. We got to start with that. Your next move is now we got to figure out the goals so that we can have systems to actually execute on the stuff that we say we're so valuable for. Now we have to actually deliver the value, but it all starts with getting that clarity. Hearing that you guys valued the time in person together. I do think clarity is one of those places where doing it in person is worth it. I think so too. We all agreed. We checkpointed on that and agreed this was important enough that even though it's money we're taking away from other stuff. We're going to do it quarterly, at least right now, until we get clear. Yeah. And actually, I can't believe I didn't think of this. You mentioned clarity. Clarity was one of the top level things that our SVP was asking for, like driving principles. Like clarity. Which is good. That is actually <clears throat> what every leader should be asking for is clarity. And then their job should be, is that all lining up? Yeah. Again, back to the, if you guys came up with something and it didn't actually dock in with the whole system of the business, well, then their job would be like, mm, let me come and coach you guys on why that's not going to work. And you go back yes. to the drawing table, right? Yes. All right. This was fun. I like the George topics. We're going to have to do uh, more George, just George. This is really cool. I had fun talking about it too. Both of the topics we talked about are fresh from this week. I like that too. Yeah, it's good. And I do think even though, you know, you were coming at it from a big business perspective, again, so much of this stuff, I think just business is business. Every business needs to go reflect back on that clarity component of their business, revisit the mission and the vision statement, revisit yes. what does it mean to provide value to my clients and my customers. And I think that's just important work we should all be doing. And small business has the challenge of trying to do it before you're becoming irrelevant to your client base, right? Yeah. You need to yeah. do that before people start to question whether they should even buy from you, which is why we make it a repeatable process, like doing it all the time. Some years you'll see big change to be had and some years you'll just be like, I think we're okay. But if you don't do that reflection, that word keeps coming up for us, right? If you don't do that reflection, yeah. then you could miss it. And and then bad things happen. <laughs> bad Chaos things ensues. Happen. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thanks, George. Thanks, Camille. This was fun. Have a good week. Fun. Yeah, you too. We'll talk to you next week and we'll be back in everybody's ears next week as well. See everybody. Bye. Bye.